WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Father Campbell here. I'm pleased to be back for another Marian Hour on this October 11th of 2023 and I'm going to ask you to join me in praying my favorite prayer to Our Lady, the Memorare, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. St. John the Twenty-Third, Pope, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today is the feast day, as I just mentioned, of uh, Good Pope John the Twenty-Third, and this feast day was chosen for him because October 11th is the date that the Second Vatican Council began. Why was this day chosen? Well, because before the Second Vatican Council, the feast of the Divine Motherhood of Our Lady was October 11th, today. On the old calendar, the pre-1962 church calendar, today is the feast day of the Divine Motherhood of Our Lady. So I thought I would begin the program by talking about our Lady and, and why this feast was instituted. It was instituted back actually in 1931 by Pope Pius XI. And he chose that year to institute this feast because that was the, now I have to make sure I get this right, okay, it was the uh, 15th centenary. In other words, the 1500th year anniversary of the proclamation of the title Mother of God, or more properly Theotokos, at the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD. So 1500 years later, Pope Pius XI institutes the Feast of the Motherhood of the Blessed Virgin Mary because <clears throat> exactly 1,500 years earlier, the Council of Ephesus proclaimed the dogma of Mary, Mother of God, the Theotokos. And when they proclaimed that dogma at the Council of Ephesus, uh, they weren't proclaiming something new. They were reaffirming a teaching that the church always believed, 
However, that teaching had been challenged. And I'll just give a little history of that right now. Um, why was that title challenged? Well, well, back, back in the early 5th century, in the area of Antioch in Syria, there was, they call it a school of Antioch, a school of thinking, in other words, a school of thought by many that were uh, exaggerating, you could say, the, the separation of the divine from the human in Christ. Now, when the incarnation took place, the greatest act in the history of the world, as I like to call it, the Word became flesh in Mary's womb. And the Son of God, while remaining God, became man. That's what the incarnation is. So Jesus was both God and man, but in one divine person. And as the church would later flesh out and, and explain, Jesus has two natures. He has a nature of, of God, a divine nature, in other words. Why? Because he is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the eternal Son of God. And as God, he has, he has a divine nature as the Son of God. A, divine, a nature concerns what something is. So we describe the divine nature of God. What are some attributes of God that, that are used to describe this divine nature? Well, God is eternal. He's got no beginning and no end. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-merciful. You can use all these terms to describe God in his nature. Well, because Jesus is the Son of God who became man, he has a divine nature that's uh, something that is part of his, his divine person. He's the second person of the Trinity. But he became man, and he took a human nature. And I have one person in the studio audience with me today. It's Molly. So I'm going to ask Molly, what do you think a human nature is? What is when we say a human nature, Molly, what are we talking about? What makes up our human nature? Our, um, our, like, our soul or... Our soul makes up part of it and something else. Our human body. Our body. We're body, soul composites. That's what we are as human beings. That's our human nature. We're body, soul. We're not angels. The angels are pure spirits. But we are bodily spirits, body spirits, a composite. And in our spiritual side, we have, uh, which makes us image God, reflect God, we have a rational intellect and a free will. So that's, that's what makes up our soul. Now, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, with a divine nature because he's, he's always been God, 
he becomes man, truly man, while remaining God. And he takes a human nature, unites it to himself. He, he gets his human nature from the Blessed Virgin Mary. He, he took flesh from her, we say. And that means that Jesus had truly a human body, a human soul, with a human intellect, a rational intellect, and a human will. He had human emotions, too. He was truly human. But remember, he's got a divine nature with a divine intellect, infinite knowledge, and a divine will, infinite perfect love. So Jesus had two intellects in his person. Jesus is only one person. He's the second person of the Trinity, but with two natures, divine and human. Divine nature, he's got infinite knowledge, his divine intellect, which um, is the intellect of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's got a divine will, which is the, the will of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he also took a human nature with a human intellect, rational intellect, that's finite, okay? it's not infinite, and a human will. And we see evidence of his human will in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus says, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Now, my will is not a reference to his divine nature. My will is a reference to his human nature, which had a natural uh, desire to, to avoid suffering. Well, so, so Jesus, when, when the Word becomes flesh in Mary's womb, when she says yes to the angel, the Son of Man, pardon me, the Son of God, while remaining God, becomes man, he takes a human nature, unites it to himself in his divine person. So Jesus has not only a divine nature, but now a human nature. Human body, human soul, with intellect and will. But this was something that was worked out in the first centuries, the understanding of this. And in the, in the fourth, especially the fifth centuries, with these theologians and you know, even bishops of, of uh, the East, they, some of them confuse things. And one of them was Nestorius, who was the patriarch could say like the Archbishop uh, of Constantinople. Constantinople, I'm going to ask Molly, do you know your geography? Molly, where is Constantinople? Do you know where that is? No. No? Constantinople is modern-day Turkey. Okay. And uh, he was, he was the, the patriarch there, the bishop, in other words. Okay. We would kind of call him an archbishop today because that was a huge C. That's why he was called a patriarch. And Nestorius gave a series of homilies in which he, reflecting this thought from the city of Antioch, this 
School of Antioch, Antiochene School as it's called. He was preaching that the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, merely dwelt in the man Jesus as in a temple, that the Word did not unite a human nature to himself in one person. Actually, what Nestorius did was make Jesus two persons, saying that the divine person, the Son of God, the Word, dwelt within the human person of Jesus. So you had then two persons in Jesus. And then he went on to say, this is Nestorius, that Mary was not the mother of God. She was the mother of Christ. Instead of calling her the Theotokos, which means the God-bearer, he called her the Christotokos, the Christ-bearer. She bore Christ, yes, Jesus. She conceived Jesus a human person with a human nature. She gave birth to Jesus, the human person with a human nature, but she did not conceive and give birth to the Son of God. The Son of God united himself, the second person of the Trinity, united himself to the human person of Jesus later on. We think probably at, like at the baptism of Jesus. The two persons came together. Well, this was considered heretical. And in response to this, the Council of Ephesus was held to, you could say, get the teaching right on who the Blessed Virgin Mary was. And by defending Mary, you're defending Christ, you see. And the unity of the two natures in one person in Christ. And why would Ephesus have been chosen? This is the seacoast town of modern-day Ephesus, pardon me, modern-day Turkey. St. Paul wrote one of his epistles to Ephesus. It was, I believe, in the time of the, Ro of the Roman Empire, the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a huge port. Now, why was that city chosen to have the Council of Ephesus to decide this question of who Mary is? Is she the mother of just Jesus, the human person, or the mother of God, the Word became flesh. Well, this is because the Blessed Virgin Mary went to Ephesus with St. John to live. And this was in the 40s because of persecutions in Rome. They fled, pardon me, the persecutions in, in the Holy Land and in around Jerusalem. They fled to Ephesus. And Mary lived there. In fact, um, the uh, German Augustinian mystic from the 18th century, um, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, because people were questioning whether really, really Mary ever lived in Ephesus. And she, in her mystical revelations that she was given, she described 
the area in and around um, Ephesus where she said the house of the Blessed Virgin Mary was uh, underground, basically, because it, over the years it had just been, you know, uh, uh, buried under dirt. She described the landmarks around where that house was, and she said, if you go there, you'll find this. Well, guess what? Archaeologists went there, they dug, and lo and behold, they found the house of the Blessed Virgin Mary where she lived. It was clearly her house with marks identifying it. In fact, you can go there today and and take tours of uh, the Holy House of Mary at Ephesus. Anyway, that's why Ephesus was chosen to be the place where this council was held in the year 431, the Council of Ephesus, which would decide who Mary is. What title should we give here? Is she truly mother of God, or is she, is she just the mother of Christ? We're going to take a, a break now for just a minute uh, or two. We'll return shortly to talk more about um, Mary, her divine motherhood. This is Samantha Adams. And this is Scott Friend. We belong to St. Mary Catholic Church in McHenry, Illinois. And our lives have been changed by WSFI 88.5 Radio. We need Catholic Radio to evangelize our communities. And to change our lives. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. WSFI is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. But we only can do that with your financial help. Please take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. That's P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hi, this is Mark Curran. Are you in need of a trial lawyer? My career in both law and politics has been spent fighting for the injured and most vulnerable. Faithful Catholics, your problem is that many of the trial lawyers that I have been fighting are on the side of the abortion industry, as well as many other intrinsic evils. 
Martindale Hubble, the agency that rates attorneys, has given me the highest rating for both ethics and ability. I am a former county, state, and federal prosecutor, as well as a three-term sheriff, and I am the host of the program Cross-Examination on WSFI. If you want a trial lawyer with the highest credentials and ability that will not support the evil agenda destroying America, but will support WSFI Catholic Radio, then you can learn more at 847-721-3189 or go to markcurrentlaw.com. Once again, that's 847-721-3189 or go to markcurrentlaw.com. Hello, this is Father Dwight Campbell, back for the second part of our Marian Hour today, October 11th, as I open this hour invoking St. John the 23rd Pope. Uh, his feast day is today because this was the day that the Second Vatican Council was convoked, which back at that time, in 1962, was the feast of the Divine Motherhood of Mary. And that feast was proclaimed in 1931 by Pope Pius XI on the 1500th anniversary of the Council of Ephesus, which proclaimed Mary's divine motherhood. She's the Theotokos, the God-bearer. As I was explaining in our first segment, if you're just joining us, there was a, a, a bishop named Nestorius. He was the patriarch of Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul in Turkey, who was preaching, he preached a series of homilies saying that Mary was the mother of Christ, the Christotokos, but not the mother of God, the Theotokos, because Mary just conceived and gave birth to the human person of Jesus Christ. The divine person, the second person of the Trinity, later united himself to the human person of Jesus, kind of dwelled within him, so to speak, um, because he's pure spirit, of course. And so you had two persons in Jesus. Therefore, Mary was not the mother of God. She was just the mother of Christ, Jesus Christ. While the Council of Ephesus was called at Ephesus because this is where Mary had lived, she went there with John in the 40s, when the persecutions began in and about Jerusalem of the Christians. And 431, the Council of Ephesus was held there, and it proclaimed Mary, the title given to her, the Theotokos. This, this was Greek-speaking, which means Theos, God, theology, the study of God, Tokos, the, the bearer, okay, you could say. So Mary is the God-bearer. The great defender of the Blessed Virgin Mary at the Council of Ephesus, and even before that, he was countering the, the preaching of the heretic Nestorius, was St. Cyril of Alexandria. And um, he was defending Mary, Mother of God, in keeping with the tradition, going back to the, the very you know earliest times of the Church, and um, he even uh, in preparing for the, the council, um, Cyril wrote a famous letter 
of anathemas, in other words, uh, condemning Nestorius's position. And uh, in the second letter of St. Cyril to Nestorius, um, I'm going to read it here because this explains the teaching of the Council of Ephesus, which, which adopted the, really the, the wording and, and the thought of St. Cyril of Alexandria. Okay, here is St. Cyril, his words, defending Mary's divine motherhood. The Word, the eternal Word, the second person of the Trinity, in other words, is said to have been begotten according to the flesh because for us and for our salvation, he united what was human to himself hypostatically, that means in his, with, his, with his divine person. And the word made flesh came forth from a woman. For he was not first begotten of the Holy Virgin, a man like us, and then the word descended upon him. That's what Nestorius taught, you see. But from the very womb of his mother, he was so united and then underwent a birth according to the flesh, making his own the begetting of his own flesh. So shall we find that the Holy Father is believed. In other words, those great saints before Cyril believed this. So they have dared to call the Holy Virgin Mother of God, or Theotokos, not as though the nature of the Word or his God had received the origin of their being from the Holy Virgin. That's not what we believe. We don't believe that Mary, the Mother of God, the second person of the Trinity, began his existence as the Son of God in Mary's womb. No, he's co-eternal with the Father. But that eternal Word, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, while remaining God, entered into time and took flesh, took a human nature in Mary's womb. And as Cyril goes on to say, St. Cyril, because there was born from her his holy body, with which the word, oh, his holy body rationally ensouled. Okay, he has a, a human body, a human soul, a rational soul, with which the word was hypostatically united and is said to have been begotten in the flesh. Hypostatically means in one person. So the one, the second person of the Trinity, who has a divine nature from eternity because he's God, he takes flesh from Mary and unites a human nature with his divine nature in his one divine person at the Incarnation. At that moment when Mary says yes to the angel, she becomes the mother of God, the mother of the Word made flesh. She gives birth to him nine months later. That's the teaching of the Council of Ephesus. That's the teaching of the Church. The Church has always believed this. So, um, now I'm going to segue into uh, another feast that is going to be celebrated tomorrow. Not here not in the United States, not throughout the world, really, but it will be celebrated in Spain. And <clears throat> the feast on October 12th throughout Spain is, it celebrates Mary under the title, I'll say it in Spanish, Nuestra Señora del Pilar, Our Lady of the Pillar of Zaragoza. 
That's the city. It's the first Marian apparition in the history of Christianity. And it happened while Mary was still alive. In fact, uh, this is why technically it is a bilocation of Mary, because she was living at the time with St. John the Evangelist in Jerusalem. This was all between, between, uh, well, this was the late 30s, okay? The, the apparition or the bilocation of Mary took place, we believe, in, in 40 A.D., January 2nd, 40 A.D. To James the Greater, who was the brother of St. John the Evangelist, now, James the Greater traveled to Spain, traveled to uh, kind of northeastern Spain, which back then was uh, under the Roman Empire, Roman Hispania it was called. And he did this to evangelize the local tribes there. And he did this in and around the modern-day city of Zaragoza. He encountered many difficulties. He wasn't having much success in converting the pagan tribes, and um, he was, well, discouraged, downtrodden. On January 2nd of 40 A.D., he was sitting on the banks of the Ebro River in Zaragoza, and Mary appeared to him, accompanied by thousands of angels. And she consoled and encouraged St. James not to give up his, his evangelizing efforts of these peoples. Now, the Virgin Mary appeared to St. James with the baby Jesus in her arms, and she was standing on a pillar made of jasper or quartz. And Our Lady asked St. James and his disciples, he had eight disciples with him, to build a chapel on this site in honor of her. And she promised, and these are the words I quote, it will stand from that moment until the end of time in order that God may work miracles and wonders through my intercession for all who place themselves under my patronage. And at the time Mary appeared to St. James, she gave him, uh, well, she appeared on a pillar, standing on a pillar. And she gave James a small wooden statue of herself with the infant Jesus, which now stands on the pillar, which is located in the basilica, which was later built. And I'll just say I visited that Basilica of Our Lady of the Pillar, Nuestra Señora del Pilar, about, about oh, maybe seven, eight years ago. I was on a pilgrimage with some parishioners. I went to Fatima, and then we traveled through Spain, through Avila. But I wanted to go to Zaragoza and visit the great Basilica of, of Our Lady of the Pillar. And so I've been to this this basilica, beautiful, just just beautiful. I'll, t- I'll speak about it in a little more um, in just a few minutes. And 
Back to Mary at the time she appeared, okay, she says, I want a chapel built here in my honor. She gives him a statue of her holding the baby Jesus and the pillar. And Mary assured James that the people of Hispania would become Christians. In other words, she was telling him, don't give up your evangelizing efforts. They will become Christians, and their faith will be so strong and durable like the pillar on which she was standing. So James built a chapel, and guess what happened? The pagans in that area began to convert to Christianity. Well, if you know uh, the history of St. James, the greater, he ends up returning to Jerusalem, and he was the first of the uh, apostles to, to suffer martyrdom. He was beheaded by King Herod Agrippa I, Herod the Great's one of his sons. And St. James's disciples took his body back to Spain. Now, <clears throat> here's, there are stories within stories. The Spanish queen at that time in the area where they were converted after witnessing many miracles performed by the disciples of St. James. And uh, she had St. James' body buried in a local field in Galatia, and that's northwest Spain. Eight centuries later, they built a cathedral at Compostela. And that cathedral is built over his gravesite. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask Molly if she knows. Do you know? Have you ever heard of Compostela? Yes. What is it known for? I'll just give you a hint. Uh, a pilgrimage. The the pilgrimage. It's it's known as uh, El Camino, the way. Okay. People walk across northern Spain. That's one of the ways you can go. There are many ways. Actually, you can go from Lourdes. Uh, there's a, there's a Camino there up to. Um, St. James de Compostela, the great basilica there where James's body is. So people go on this, this pilgrimage, uh, walking for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Usually they take weeks to do so. You could take a shorter route or take the longer route, whatever. And you end up, the, the goal of the, the pilgrimage, the, 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 the Camino, the way, is St. James of Compostela, beautiful basilica. So if you've, I've never walked it. Uh, maybe someday I will, but I don't have any plans to do so in the very near future. Anyway, um, uh, the first Marian shrine was built, getting back to Our Lady of the Pillar, okay, in Zaragoza. And this is the first church in history dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it, that um, remains standing today. Okay, I'll just I'll give a little history of the church. You have a little chapel that's built first. And then in the third century, in the 200s that is, a basilica was built. And this is the oldest basilica, pardon me, outside of Rome. And over the centuries, because this was the third century, uh, a number of times, 
the basilica was expanded, redesigned, refurbished, and the current structure, which I visited about seven, eight years ago, it was completed in the 17th century, in the 1600s. It is just spectacular. It's really a beautiful basilica. It's the second biggest church in Spain, and it it has 11 brightly colored tiled domes throughout the whole basilica. So you can it's very easily identifiable if you're if you're at a distance. Um, I see. It looks like we may have to take another break. Two minutes. Okay, I, I, Molly's telling me two minutes. So I'll 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 say something about the wooden statue that Our Lady gave to Saint James. is is pretty uh, a simple statue. It's it's only 15 inches high. Okay, so uh, one foot three inches high. It stands on a a jasper or quartz pillar in the basilica, and that. That jasper pillar is 5.9 feet tall. But what is spectacular is the crown on the head of Our Lady in the statue that was placed on it later. The crown was built later. It was made in 44 days, the crown, by 33 workmen. It's kind of like a sun-like shape circular with uh, rays coming forth from it, made up of, I know Molly will appreciate this, uh, girls love diamonds, okay? So um, 2,836 diamonds cut triangularly, also 2,725 roses that are cut, okay, out of wood. 145 pearls, 74 emeralds, 62 rubies, 46 sapphires. Okay. Wow. It's, it's really a spectacular crown. We have to take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Hi, this is Mark Curran. Are you in need of a trial lawyer? My career in both law and politics has been spent fighting for the injured and most vulnerable. Martindale Hubble has given me the highest rating in ethics and ability. If you want a trial lawyer with the highest rating in ethics and ability that will not support the evil agenda destroying America, but will support WSFI Catholic Radio, 
Well, you can learn more at 847-721-3189 or go to markcurrenlaw.com. Hi, my name is Irene Sherapata. My husband, Alex, and I are volunteers for WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is our family's source of truthful and trustworthy information regarding the Catholic faith, the church, our religion, and state of the world in these trying times. My husband, Alex, and I are greatly rewarded for our volunteer work at WSFI by working with such lovable and like-minded people and by meeting and hearing firsthand some of our, the most respected, wise, and interesting guest speakers. Its programmings on healing the whole person has helped so many and is truly inspired by God. This radio station is really a school of Catholic thought and source of wisdom. We have learned so much, and our faith and love for God has increased so much that we hope to share it with everyone we meet. We hope and pray that WSFI 88.5 FM would soon reach the entire Chicagoland population. You too can help WSFI bring millions of souls to God. See how you can support their effort by calling WSFI Catholic Radio at 224-206-8455 or online at WSFICatholicRadio.org for your donation. Thank you very much, and uh, God bless you. This is Father Dwight Campbell. I'm back for the third segment of the Marian Hour on this Wednesday, October 11th. Just to remind people, my show, my radio program, the Marian Hour, is always on the second and the fourth Wednesdays of the month from 2 o'clock until 3 p.m. And we broadcast out of Libertyville. So today, I earlier I spoke of Mary's divine motherhood because it's the feast of Pope St. John the 23rd, who began the Second Vatican Council on October 11th, which back in 1962 was the feast day of the divine motherhood of Mary. And that was instituted, that feast, by Pope Pius XI in 1931 on the 1500th anniversary of the proclamation of Mary, Mother of God, by the Council of Ephesus, which condemned the heresy of, er of, of um, um, uh, the the bishop. Uh, uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name now. Um, uh, the Nestorius, Nestorius, yes, um, who claimed that Mary was the mother of Jesus, but not the mother of God. He made Jesus two persons, okay? Divine person, human person. 
Mary only conceived, gave birth to the human person. The divine person united himself with Jesus after his birth. So Mary was just the mother of Jesus, the mother of Christ, not the mother of God. The Council of Ephesus condemned that heresy, proclaimed Mary mother of God, 431. Then I spoke about the feast day that's taking place tomorrow in Spain. It's the feast of Nuestra Señora del Pilar, Our Lady of the Pillar. And just to briefly summarize the story, St. James the Greater, the brother of St. John the Evangelist, the Apostle, um, he traveled to Spain in about 36, 37, 38, 39, 40 A.D. And he was ready to throw in the towel because he wasn't making many conversions. And Our Lady appeared to him while still alive. This was really a bilocation. She was living in Jerusalem with St. John at the time. And she, she assured him, you know, I'm with you, your prayers. But she appeared on a pillar, standing on a pillar. And um, she actually gave him a small wooden statue of herself holding the baby Jesus because that's how she appeared to him, holding the baby Jesus. And she said she wanted a chapel built on this site. This is in modern day Zaragoza next to the Ebro River. And James and his disciples, eight of them, they built a chapel. James returned to Jerusalem. He was beheaded by King Herod, uh, Agrippa I. And um, after his, his martyrdom, his apostles brought him to Spain, to Galatia, northwest Spain, and over his grave site was built a great basilica, uh, St. James of Compostela, where that is where the, the, the end of the Camino is, the famous Camino. Actually, there are a number of, of ways you can get there. You can even start from Lourdes. I learned this when I was in Lourdes the last time, some years back. Um, but the, the more famous Camino is northern Spain. You walk across northern Spain, you end up at the great basilica of St. James de Compostela. Well, back to um, the shrine of Our Lady of the Pillar. So uh, a basilica was built in Zaragoza in honor of Our Lady of the Pillar. In the third century, it had, the basilica had been redesigned a number of times. Uh, the present-day structure was finished in the 16th century and has 11 brightly colored tile domes, very beautiful. Inside the basilica, you can see the statue, which it's 15 inches high, a wooden statue of Our Lady of the Pillar. And, I was, and she's standing on the pillar that Mary stood on when she appeared to St. James. It's a, um, a jasper or quartz pillar, 5.9 feet, 5 foot 9 inches high. And the crown is spectacular. I was describing that. Again, I'll just say um, it was made by workmen in 44 days. 33 guys, men worked on it. Um, it's a sun-like crown in the shape like a sun. Okay. Um, 2,836 diamonds, uh, 2,725 roses are cut, um, 
I think out of out of wood or maybe metal, I'm not sure. 145 pearls, 74 emeralds, 62 rubies, 46 sapphires. What a crown. And the crown of the baby Jesus is identical in shape, although not in size, to the crown of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady of the Pillar. And Mary is under the title Our Lady of the Pillar is patroness of Spain, the national patroness, but also really of all Hispanic peoples, even though they may not know this, uh, especially in the Americas. Why is this? Well, because guess what day Columbus discovered America? October 12th. Columbus Day is October 12th, okay? That's the feast day of Our Lady of the Pillar. And Columbus discovers America on that feast day, the national patroness of Spain. And uh, he offered the first mass in the Americas on that date in 1492. So um, in 1797, I'm going to fast forward here. Okay, This was uh, in the wake of the French Revolution. And things were still bad in France. There was a, a priest uh, very devoted to Mary. His name is William Joseph Chaminade. And he is a blessed right now. Uh, he, he had been in exile in Spain because of the French Revolution. They were, in case you don't know about it, the uh, radical anti-Catholic um, forces, demonic were putting people to death. Um, the reign of terror actually ended when they beheaded 16 Carmelite nuns of Compiègne. Okay. Uh, their feast day is July 17th. Anyway, Father William Joseph Chaminade, now blessed, he was in exile in Spain, and he took refuge in the city of Zaragoza. And he prayed before the statue of Our Lady of the Pillar while he was there. And this was in the basilica that, that had been built. And before the statue of Our Lady of the Pillar, he received his inspiration to found a, a religious congregation under the patronage of Our Lady. And that congregation is the Society of Mary. They're also known as the Marianists. I'm proud to say that I, I studied at the University of Dayton, which is a Marian university, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, at the University of Dayton, where I did my studies in Mariology, uh, they have the largest Marian library in the world, the largest collection of books on Mary in the world. Some of them go back to the, the days of the printing press. So it's, it's, it's a magnificent library. Um, anyway, now blessed William Joseph Chaminade received his inspiration while praying before the statue of Our Lady of the Pillar in Zaragoza, in the basilica there. He founded the Society of Mary, or the Marianists. Fast forward a couple of hundred years now, or about 100 and close to 40 years the Spanish Civil War, which um, the Republicans, as they called themselves, were really communists. And 
uh, they they hated the faith. I mean, there's a famous photo of of the um, the Republican communists, atheistic communists, okay, uh, standing with guns, rifles aimed at the, and they were shooting at a statue of our Lord portraying his sacred heart in his breast. Okay, this was their hatred for the Catholic faith. And during the Spanish Civil War, that was 18, pardon me, 1936 to 1939, the communists, um, out of viciousness and their hatred for the Catholic faith and all that is true, good, and beautiful, they dropped from airplanes two bombs on the Basilica of Our Lady of the Pillar in Zaragoza. The bombs tore through the roof. They landed on the, the floor of the Basilica and they did not explode. When I was in the Basilica, this goes back seven, eight years ago, as I said, uh, on a tour with a pilgrimage with, with parishioners, we saw the holes in the roof. You can see them. They left the inside of the roof or the ceiling, basically, uh, open where the bombs came through. And the bombs are mounted, both bombs are mounted on one of the walls of the basilica. The um, 19th century German Augustinian stigmatist, visionary, I mentioned her before, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, she gives a commentary on Our Lady's appearance to St. James in, in detail. Okay. This is chapter 14 of her book. You can get it from Tan Books and Publishers, The Life of Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She talks about how Mary appeared to St. James. Now, another uh, beautiful, hopefully one day will be saint. She's not yet. She's a venerable Mary of Agreda. She wrote the, the compendium on the life of Mary. It's, it's, uh, you want to learn about all the things of Mary's life that the Gospels don't tell us because the Gospels don't say much about Mary's life. Uh, her work is called The Mystical City of God. Mary is the mystical city of God. That's what the title is supposed to indicate. And uh, Venerable Mary of Agorda, who wrote this work, 2,800 pages of it, um, she, she says that she, she was given a, a revelation that the Blessed Virgin was transported to Spain from Jerusalem, where she was living with John the Evangelist in 40 AD, carried in a cloud by angels. And it was these angels... Venerable Mary of Agorda said, who, who carved the pillar of marble that Mary stood on and um, the statue of Mary, their queen, holding the baby Jesus. I'll just mention, too, as a way of finishing up, um, Sunday, May 22, 2005, it, it closed a jubilee year in Spain declared by the Spanish bishops, the uh, first centenary, 100th year anniversary, of the canonical coronation, a formal canonical coronation of the statue of Our Lady of the Pillar in Zaragoza. 
and the bishops in Spain reconsecrated their country to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in the presence of 70,000 faithful before the Basilica of Our Lady of the Pillar. And then, um, actually, uh, prior to that, the, the Spanish bishops had declared an anniversary, 150th anniversary, of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which was in uh, 1854. And uh, from December 8th of 2004 until December 8th of 2005, uh, they proclaimed a year of the Immaculata in Spain. And they announced a national pilgrimage that took place in May of 2005. That was what I, I referenced, uh, the close of the Jubilee year, reconsecrated their country to Mary's Immaculate Heart before the, the Basilica and the statue of Our Lady of the Pillar. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful devotion that the Spanish have to Our Lady under this title. And again, that's October 12th. Tomorrow they celebrate it. Uh, there's no nothing on our calendars here in the United States uh, which, which recognize this. But the first apparition of Our Lady, actually, like I said, a bi-location, Mary appears to St. James and uh, encourages him to, to evangelize the pagan peoples of Hispania, today modern-day Spain, which he did. So let us whoop, let us end today um, with uh, the oldest prayer to Our Lady, which is the Subtuum Presidium. And this oldest prayer, which dates back, we have we have a copy dating back to the late third century in Greek. It acknowledges our Mary as the Mother of God. We fly to thy patronage, O holy Mother of God. Despise not our prayers and our necessities, but ever deliver us from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you and keep you under the patronage of Our Lady, Mother of God, and Our Lady of the Pillar, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.